When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm Alex Higley. And I'm Lindsay Hunter. And I'm, I'm a writer. writer, but... Welcome to I'm a Writer But. Today we have A. Natasha Joukowsky. Natasha holds a BA in English from the University of Virginia and an MBA from New York University Stern School of Business. She spent five years in the art world working at the Philadelphia Museum of Art and the Metropolitan Museum of Art in New York before pivoting into management consulting. The Portrait of a Mirror is her debut novel. She lives in Washington, D.C. Welcome, Natasha. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me. This is so exciting. I absolutely loved your book. Um, and, you know, close listeners will remember that I read, I loved the opening so much that I read it on, um, Natasha, you reminded me on Liv Stratman's episode. So please go back and listen to that um, if you want a little taste from the novel. But we have requested that Natasha read us a new thing, um, which is exciting for us. We love when that happens. So I'm going to throw it over to you, Natasha. Yeah. Okay. So uh, thank you, first of all, so much again for having me. I'm just delighted, chuffed to be here. <laughs> um, big fan of the pod. Uh, so I'm going to read from, actually, it's a, um, a personal essay, nonfiction, um, that uh, is the second in uh, a series on delusions of grandeur. The first essay was published in The Common um, last year. And uh, this one, my agent keeps asking me to rework because there's something here, but, um, but yeah, it, uh, it, you know, I'm just going to say it outright. There's, there's so much privilege she, in it. She doesn't think that she can sell it. So Ooh. we'll see what you, let's see, we'll see what you you guys think. Basically okay. it's about, um, this time, true story. When, um, uh, a guy from my boarding school, uh, and asked me to the prom, um, the, the senior prom, I wasn't a senior. Uh, and then, and then turns out he didn't want to go to the prom. He wanted to take me to New York to go to a fancy French restaurant. And the essay is oh. called the Cremister cycle. Um, and, uh, <laughs> this is from, this is from the middle of the essay. And again, um, this is, this is all true except for names have been changed. So I'm protecting, um, the, the innocent in this case, really the innocent, <laughs> truly. All right. The plan, as it turned out, was to meet up with two other boys from school and all head to the Guggenheim together. Fred Schultz and Dean Reynolds III were the sort of boys who'd always given me Rosencrantz and Guildenstern vibes, minor characters in the periphery of my social consciousness. They were in my year as opposed to Artie's and had made little impression in the few classes I'd had with them aside from the vague sense that Dean could be occasionally amusing. I remember being a little surprised to learn they were off-campus level friends with Artie but happy enough for them to join us, grateful for the way their presence diffused the uncertain pressure of Artie's expectations and my tenuous role in his chosen weekend. This gratitude grew substantially once we got to the museum and I learned what the Barney installation actually was. I'm not sure what I was expecting to see at the Guggenheim that day, garnering the sophisticated approval of Marion Irving, but I can guarantee you it wasn't the Cremaster cycle. The Guggenheim's website opens its description of the Cremester cycle, 1994 to 2002, as, quote, a self-enclosed aesthetic system consisting of five feature-length films that explore processes of creation, end quote. But it's basically an epic tribute to balls. The Guggenheim, quote, its conceptual departure point is the male Cremester muscle, which controls testicular contractions in response to external stimuli, end quote. Its level of weirdness threatens the plausible extremity of the word. The films, which were shot out of order from 1994 to 2002, are almost entirely devoid of plot and dialogue, but, ex but exhaustively follow, say, Matthew Barney as a ginger fawn crawling up an enormous Vaseline-coated anus, Cremister 4, 
Rockets pull, pulling testicular Goodyear blimps across the football field, Cremister one. Matthew Barney as a maypole-dicked merman chilling with Ursula Andrus in Elizabethan dress, Cremister five. And Matthew Barney as mid-century murderer, Gary Gildmore, Cremister two. Cremister three, the cycle's apex, features Barney scaling the walls of the Guggenheim in a kilt and fuzzy scrotal hat, foreshadowing the fusion of film and set in the exhibition. A bloody cloth hangs out of his mouth in a way that seems nearly anatomical for an overall effect falling somewhere between Mel Gibson in Braveheart and that pink probicidal character on Futurama. The portraits of Barney in this getup are some of the most famous in the cycle, perhaps because they are, if you can believe it, some of the least disturbing. The merman costume I mentioned in Creamister 5 reminds me of a live action remake of the South Park episode where Kyle's dad gets disastrous plastic surgery to look like a dolphin. In another scene from Creamister 3, Barney is subjected to medieval dental work in the nude while taking a prolapsed intestinal shit. I had nightmares about this scene for over a year. You can imagine how four unsupervised teenagers reacted. For all its esoteric sophistication, this was not an exhibition that encouraged maturity. The Cremister cycle is a sort of project so grand, so titanic and ambitious and narcissistic, so incontrovertibly the work of a man, that the only two plausible conclusions are that the artist is a genius or belongs in a mental institution. Even now, revisiting it as an adult who has worked in museums, who generally likes pretentious things and is proposed to defend and is predisposed, excuse me, to defend phrases like self-enclosed aesthetic system, and has even written a fairly demanding novel about art. Even now, when revisiting the Cremaster cycle, my, vis my visceral reaction is, damn, I hope he has a good therapist. It's a testament to the sheer magnitude of what a megalomaniac white dude with an Ivy League degree can get away with. In spite of our snickering eye rolls, we were all transfixed, reveling in the discovery of each new Vaseline-drenched absurdity as we worked to outdo one another's scatological puns. One might have predicted I'd be awkwardly left out in such an environment, the only girl with three privileged boys, but they included me collegially. It was a natural sort of inclusion too, not a begrudging politically correct one. I mentally upgraded Dean from occasionally amusing to hilarious and reflected that Fred too was a significantly more complex character than I'd ever before given him credit. Still, even as my impressions of Dean and Fred careened toward admiration, I couldn't shake the sense that Artie had invited them less for cover than relief. And as the afternoon wore on, I found myself increasingly unable to deny Artie's preeminence among them not just due to his, his handsomeness, though that was part of it, but in his observations and mannerisms. There was a subtle alacrity to his responses in the way he handed me the floor plan, a respectful, unpossessive attentiveness that was frankly quite endearing. By the time we left the museum several hours later, I was still anxious about our dinner, but less due to its situational embarrassment than my perspective appearance for the occasion. I wanted to look achingly ravishing, and I'll stop there. Okay, I feel cheated. <laughs> I want to read the rest. I was Oh, uh, thanks. That's I what was, I mean, that's what you want to hear, right? Yeah, yeah. I I I have to know what's next. And I think my thoughts are not fully formed, but I was looking at the Matthew Barney stuff as you were reading the Cremaster Cycle. It's stuff. insane, right? Holy shit. It is insane. <laughs> we watched that in an art history class I took in college. Some of it, not definitely not all of it. Definitely not all 12 hours. Yeah, right? fuck no, no. I mean, it was like 20 minutes and I remember everybody walked down and she's like, what the fuck? What the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> and, that, and that was not even close to what you experienced, the real thing. I mean, my oh God. Oh my God. It was wild. <laughs> it's stuck in my mind for years and years and years and years just for its... Like for everything I said, it's crazy. It's right. absolutely insane that like <laughs> one of the, you know, world's preeminent museums did this wild, wild thing. There's um like some Chichilina Jeff Koons stuff at, yeah. um, at the Art Institute. And I remember taking my son, <laughs> I don't know how old he was, definitely not old enough to see that stuff. And they have it like behind a wall. Or they did when we went. I'm not familiar with that. I got to look it up. So you round the corner and there's the Chichilina, Jeff Koons, like, just like having sex, sexual, Jesus you Christ. know, boobs and penis and all that kind of stuff. And I was just like, oh, hey, Parker, look at this like balloon animal over here. <laughs> <laughs> and he, you know, he was too young to be like, like even have questions about it. He oh, just, God, like, that's good. That's good. That's good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Art, you know. Mm -hmm. that's really all we I have to say about it the end <laughs> yeah um 
yeah, I, I can't wait to see where that essay goes. And I yeah. want to hear more about your conversations with your agent about it. Oh, you I mean, know? she loves it. She just doesn't think anyone, she, she, it just needs, it needs like a frame, if that makes sense. And she's right. And my agent is all, I'm obsessed with my agent, by the way, I should have <laughs> mentioned that. Like she is, I trust her literally with my life. You know, they tell you it's like the most important relationship after your, you know, actual marriage person who you, you know, raise a child with. Right. And, Mm -hmm. um, it it is. And I, I, I love her very, very much. And part of the reason that it's taken me so long is because of how much I, um, I respect her opinion for the record. She does not want anything to change about that section that I read. It's, um, it's all in the, in the framing that, that I'm, I'm working on finding just the right angle that, um, people won't hang up on me before I can get to this. I mean, I know this isn't a workshop, but I, the experience is so interesting that you could even chop the frame. I feel like, and people would be in it. I mean, I, well, that was one of my suggestions actually to chop the frame. So, um, well, we'll see We'll see if I, if I, if I get, if I get there, that's not the beginning though. I mean, there's a whole, I, I, that is really the, that's the, you know, the middle, the middle arty section arty haha, but like, um, the, you know, as, as with many things, I, I tend to draw, um, a lot of parallels and just, um, inspiration in art, but then also relationships and, uh, psychology. And at the end of the day, I am even more interested in the psychological, uh, aspects than in the art itself. I am. Oh, go ahead. I was going to say, Natasha, I am curious about kind of your previous professional life because it's mentioned in your bio and obviously it's relevant for your book, but um, what was your original ambition? Did What did you do in the art world? My original ambition was to be a novelist. Um, I mean, like, I, I know when you read my bio, it comes off like an MBA sick, like <laughs> really. Um, but like, that was all, uh, what was surprising. The novel mm. really isn't like, um, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm sitting here in, uh, you know, the room, a room with thousands of books. My father was a English professor at Penn state for 50 years and is oh, wow. still a leading scholar on, um, Thomas Love Peacock and has a you know, a Cambridge edition coming out what? in the next year, awesome. I think. I mean, like, like I, I was given a Oxford edition of Jane Austen for my 10th birthday. And he read <laughs> all of them to me by the time I was 11. And like, could, I mean, and he like taught Austen on a graduate level. So like yeah. he could answer every question I had about like, you know, the differences between the different kinds of carriages and like how entails worked and like oh I mean gosh. in exquisite detail right so I mean in in one sense like bio aside like if there is such a thing as like you know literary um her, you know hereditary privilege like I, I have it <laughs> in spades I just you know won the lottery in the jackpot and feel like I was you know destined to be a novelist from from in utero, <laughs> but, um, yeah, it, it took, it took a while to, to get there. Um, mostly because I have very expensive taste and, um, didn't like the, uh, material, um, what the material prospects of an academic life, um, or, or, or a literary one for the most part. And, uh, you know, I tried, I tried going kind of like the business route and the art history route for a while. I was on the business side at, um, the big museums I worked at. Um, and then the Met paid for, um, a lot of my MBA and I, I moved over to, um, Accenture, big, big management consulting technology firm where I, I still work. I'm on the corporate side now, but I really like that too. Honestly, like, you know, I think it gave me a ton of fodder and interesting stuff to talk about in my novel. I think there's a lot of, I think that there's more, um, I guess, mutually reinforcing benefit between strategy consulting and, um, writing than probably 
most people think I, I like, in what way? Have, well, I have to go to like trainings for work. Like, like I get, I get emails asking me to join trainings for work for, you know, for how to be a compelling and relentless storyteller. And I'm like, oh boy, you guys have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> like buckle up everyone. <laughs> buckle up. You have no idea. Let me tell yeah, you about yeah. the denouement. Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, yeah, I mean, I, I really, I, it's, it's, it's executive storytelling and there's, there's a lot of different ways that you can always, you know, spin, spin the data to make your, um, your political point. I mean, psychology is again, you know, such a big part of both. I do pricing strategy now, and so much of it is about incentives and like, you know, for me, if I'm really interested in psychological novels and I mean, the, the historical novels that. I'm drawn to Edith Wharton, Henry James, Jane Austen, George Eliot. I mean, they're all, you know, intensely interested in understanding the human mind and what people think and what people think about what other people think about them. And, you know, it's a lot of the kind of same considerations you have to go through to, you know, it's, it's, it's at, at the end of the day, it's, it's about human desire. It's about what people want. And, um, you know, there's a great line in Lauren Euler's book, fake accounts, like some of you may say strategies immoral or something like that. I love that line, but, um, I, I, I don't really think strategy is, is immoral. I'm my mom called me Machiavellian today though. So <gasps> I don't know. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, why? <laughs> I can't remember. I, I, <laughs> and then, and then she actually admitted that she needed a refresher about what it means. <laughs> but, she's like, but it's a compliment, good, right? Good. And, and, and I told her, and she was like, oh, I guess that wasn't very nice of me. <laughs> so, <laughs> but, uh, I can't believe the foresight you had I, to, to say to yourself, that's not, I want to write a novel, but it's not going to give me the living that I want. Um, because yeah, I feel like impressive. I'm only realizing that at age 42. <laughs> Well, well like, I mean, it was, shit, it was honestly really tactical. I actually, you know, I mean, people, people spend, I think, you know, a lot of time doing like filling out, you know, grant applications and various things like get very small amounts of money. I basically, I, I, I funded my own, I guess, you know, for lack of a better word, nine month European writing retreat to write the first half of this book. I took a nine month leave of absence from my job. My husband oh. quit his, um, he's, he's a, a lawyer. Um, and he, he retired pretty early uh, after doing six years of hundred hour weeks. Ooh. And, um, yeah. Jesus. And we, you know, we moved to Nice for a while. We moved to Paris for a while. And, um, before spending, we spent time in Maine, we spent time in DC and, um, yeah. And I, I got more than half of it done before I went back to work. And then it took me like three years to finish the second half. So, you know, it's, it, it was, it was pretty tactical, Lindsay to, yeah. you know, and, and just, it just seemed like the way that I would be able to write the book I wanted to write books, I should say, because I'm writing another one now. Oh, I can't wait to talk about that. I, I, what does your workplace say when you come to them and say, I need nine months to go away? Um, well, I pitched them for. Ooh. originally and then stayed a little longer and actually you know it actually I, I was actually willing to go back sooner and the way that that was in, in the stage when I was like doing actual like six week you know two month sort of stra- very very high high intensity strategy projects and um takes a while sometimes to like get back off the off the bench or the beach as we call it so um I, I meant to take off more like four to six months and it ended up dragging on, but I got, but I got more writing done. So I wasn't really complaining. I just kind of kept on until they were, they were ready to take me back. Um, it's just, it's not... very flexible. Uh, it's, you know, okay. it's really, it's a really good company to work for. I'm going to be, I'm going to be honest. Like, you know, I, I, it's great maternity leave too. Like I took six months off when I had my kid. What? Yeah. Whoa. Yeah. I, it's I interesting. Remember... It's way more interesting than working in a museum was. I, you know, I also worked at the Metropolitan Museum of Art um, when I was, no yeah, well, way. just, just for, I was in New York studying at the Lee Strasberg Theater Institute and a fellow student there said, Hey, I can get you a job working at the Met. And I was like, yeah, sure. The Met thinking 
opera. <laughs> yeah. As, and, um, as people are want to do. Yeah. Yeah. And no, I, um, I took tickets, um, you know, I took, that was my first job in a museum. That's what I did at the Philadelphia so Museum great. of Art at first. Yeah. It, it was, was horrible. So great. You hated yours. Oh, I hated it. Oh, I, I loved it. I'm an introvert. I'm an introvert. Oh. I, I didn't mind it once I was in an office and I mean, things were so bureaucratic and slow that I, I guess I'm far enough away from it now that I can admit that I read novels and did my MBA schoolwork a lot of the time. But I mean, it wasn't like I had like work that was piling up. I got, I just got everything done a lot faster and, you know, had multiple hours to sit there. I'm sure it's different now. I'm sure they're highly efficient. Yeah, it was, (laughs) it was great. I, uh, I loved it, but I I was going to say, I remember I took some time off from, um, I was working at a, as an instructional designer. And I was like, I need four weeks off to write a novel. And they were like, barely going to give me that. Um, And then the next time I got bolder and asked for six weeks, I can't imagine. I, you, Accenture, kudos to you. I mean, it was unpaid. I should mention. Well, so was mine. Yeah. So was mine. Yeah. Maternity leave is paid, but like they, they only pay for human babies, not book babies. (laughs) (laughs) Are they so proud of you? Are they like, honestly, like it's been one of the most delighting places, like delightful places to come out with a book. Like I was, I was presenting on a work call the other day and like, I got this random ping in like Microsoft teams. Like, did you write the portrait of Amir? (gasps) Yeah, man. Yes. I've been waiting for, I've been waiting for this to happen. It was very exciting for me. Yeah, no, my, a couple of my co, my coworkers have read it. There's, I mean, like, yeah, it's, it's really it's really great because it's, you know, because a couple of the main characters are consultants. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I, I unhesitatingly recommend it to at least, the, at least the coworkers that I like. Yeah. I, I think I told you I did. I, I think I tweeted about this, that I randomly met my neighbors across the street and yes! um, he's a management consultant and she's an artist. She works at the art Institute. And when he told me, cause she told me first, I'm an artist. I work at the artist too. And I said, and what do you do? And he was like, uh, I'm a management consultant. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I was like, no, wait a minute. No, that's great. <laughs> he was, I think he's used to people being like, what, <laughs> what is that? <laughs> there's something, I don't know. He was like preparing himself for something. I don't know. Well, there's actually this like really, really great video um, because it's very confusing. I think for people who aren't directly involved in the industry, like know what it is, but there was, I don't know what it is. I still don't know what it is. There was this, well, there's this video um, on Jimmy Kimmel live. Like, I mean, I I think it was like 10 years ago or something now. I mean, this is how I told my parents what a management consultant was because neither of them had any idea. And basically it's like this, it's, it's, it's very good. It's like, it's, it's a fake ad for Accenture talking about how we get shit unfucked. (laughs) (laughs) And it's like, you know, it's like proprietary systems can be difficult. Like it's really easy to fuck shit up. (laughs) That's why you should hire Accenture to get shit unfucked. (laughs) That's what we do. I, I, I unfuck shit. <laughs> that yeah, now it all yeah. makes sense. I get it. It makes sense now, right? It's no, yeah, is, no, it's more similar to novel writing than you ever could have imagined, right? That oh, is actually yeah. very that's a great that is a great way to describe except you're also fucking the shit up. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes. Novel. Yeah, except you have no one to right. blame for fucking shit up right. except yourself. <laughs> yeah, you can't walk in and be like, who did this? <laughs> it was you. <laughs> I want to circle back to Portrait of a Mirror because I loved it so much. But I, I'm also, since we're talking about your workload um, and you're, you mentioned you're writing another book, I assume you're writing it as you're also working. I want to know what that looks like for you. Like, how are you, how are you scheduling your days? How do you get the, you know, the writing in and, and um, you're a mom and you have a child. Yes. So I should, I should mention that um, my, like I, my, my, I mentioned my husband retired. He is still retired um full Sweet. you know so he so he is the primary caregiver to our son and i think it would be very very hard if we didn't have someone in our family who was doing that and i'm right. super super grateful um to him but I, i'm also just i'm a very uh, fits and starts person so um like i i i will take off time when i need to Right. And I will go weeks and months without 
right? Writing is not something that I like would say I do regularly. The Portrait of Amir is the first book I've ever read, written. I've never written a short story. Um, I just, I, I don't write very much just because I don't have a lot of, a lot of time to do it. So whenever I'm going to do it, I do, I like go all in and, you know, I want it to be, uh, incredible, like amazing. So, um, so I, I pick my, I pick my slots and then, um, I stare at a blank wall for a while Mm -hmm. and, and then, you know, I am one of those annoying people who, you know, basically sits down and j- tends to be pretty linear. And I, I do take notes like randomly, like in, in, uh, I, I take a lot of notes in the notes app that just come to me throughout the day. And, and I don't really think about those and, you know, it'll be a sentence here, a sentence there, but the real work, um, happens when I get long stretches because I'm, uh, I'm not very good at making use of odd moments. Mm-hmm. For me personally, I struggle to write if I'm not reading. If if I am not excited about a book or returning to something that I really love, it's hard for me to go to the writing with the same energy sometimes. And I was wondering if you have, I mean, with your busy schedule, if you have the opportunity to get reading in as well. I try. I mean, I really classify reading in two in two categories. There's like reading as a writer, which is more like studying. And, um, while I've never taken a workshop or, you know, you know, studied writing fiction, I have taken, you know, a lot of literature courses as a, you know, from a critical perspective. And, you know, there's a very big difference between reading that way um, the way, and, and that's how, that's the only way that I can read, you know, like, like this year, my big reading project is Proust and, mm-hmm. um, it is just incredibly slow go- going, Alex. It's just, you know, I'm only on the second book. I plan to read the whole, all of them this year. And I'm on number two. I'm Which on, translation are you reading? I am reading the original Moncrief because, um, first for a couple of reasons, number one, because it was done almost contemporaneously and like, all the stuff that he infused into it is stuff that I love, like Shakespeare. And um, secondly, just because I have my my father's really, really beautiful, like 1935 Random House. Oh my God. Edition. Oh, and wow. um, like, like that's part of the vibe, right? Like it's just like the, all the pages feel really good. And it's just mm-hmm. like this beautiful cloth bound book. And I'm, you know, very, very into the aesthetic experience of, reading it that way. That's awesome. I took a um, Proust class in grad school and it was, <laughs> it was, uh, it was rewarding, but it was also, it was difficult. It was a difficult class for me to show up for <laughs> Really? in the middle did you of not, summer. Like, at the end of the day, did you, did you like yay or nay? I know he's divisive. Oh, boy. I mean, I would say definitely yay to parts. I, the, the overall, it's not for me uh, overall, but I'm really glad I took the class um, to give you a sense of the kind of person I am. I wrote my, uh, my final, <laughs> final paper. Yeah. I wrote my final paper on why you only need to read, uh, you know, like the first 75 pages. Of- <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> yeah, that was, I mean, I, I'm so, that is, a, that is like mean, a Gertrude Stein, you know, power move. Yeah. I mean, I'm a total bullshit. Wait, the first, artist. the first 75 pages of anything. No, no, no. Oh, no, no just like Swan, yeah, Swan's way, I believe. It was like, I was just like, I couldn't, I think part of it is. Well, I, would, I mean, Swan in Love is, is like, you know, re- definitely readable as a standalone novella. There you go. I think I probably said that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but oh, yeah, no, I, I just, I think if I was reading it by myself, I think I would probably enjoy it. I think sometimes I, I struggled with uh, some of those bright minds in our literature classes who have so much to say. <laughs> God, it's like I liked Proust, but the people who liked him were just <laughs> so annoying. Greg. Yeah, God damn I, it, Greg. I, I'm I, I'm really worried now what you guys are gonna say when <laughs> I drop. <laughs> oh my God, no, 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 no. I was just I love Proust. I love him. I, I. It's That's just, good. It's, I'm glad. Yeah, it's slow. It's just um, like you know, he, he's he's so clever, and and the the you know being anybody who can 
I really, really appreciate when writers can make things that like inherently aren't super interesting, like totally fascinating. And he can, this man can go on for like three pages about how the light hits his like great aunt, hit his great aunt's like armoire 40 years ago. (laughs) See, I totally agree with you from like, from a, but for me, it's like, okay, I absolutely love that as well. It's just, I think I'm more of a Nicholson Baker person. I don't even know who that is. Oh, <laughs> oh, uh, uh, the mezzanine room temperature. Anyway, he's great, but he just, he writes like little fucking short books was my joke, but, mm. but he's great. You would, you should read him or not. Nicholson Baker. I'm going to, I'm writing it down. I think he lives in Maine. Maybe he lives in really? Maine. I don't know. Oh, wow. Yeah. There you go. There you go. Okay. Sorry. I derailed this. I, uh, I, I took, I almost got a minor in French when I was an undergrad and um, I used to be able to speak it a lot better than I can now. And I read Proust in French. And what? I remember look at was, you. Geez, not our move. Oh, not all of it. No, no, Jesus no. Jesus Christ. I did not read. No, I read some Proust <laughs> in French. And I remember thinking it was just incredible. Um, but that's many years ago. I'm sure it's even so maybe I can... French, but like Moncrief, I don't know. Here's the thing. I bet I would like Moncrief even better than Proust in the original French. If I could get my French good enough Interesting. to read it because he like, like I, and I've, and I, I've, um, I've, I've made friends with a, a French professor at, at UCLA, um, Trevor Cribben Merrill, who's also uh, a novelist. He wrote, uh, uh, in 2020, it came out minor indignities. It's really excellent, but, um, he teaches Proust and, um, we've become, you know, online friends, um, because he is also a Gerard scholar and a lot of, um, kind of Gerardian folks have latched on to the portrait of Amir. But anyway, um, he, I I've, he's been, it's been so cool being friends with him. Um, and like, like being able to email him or like tweet at him when I have a question about, Proust and and I've asked him like on occasion like I'll I'll come across a line in the Moncrief I'm like I swear he's like quoting it's it's Proust but he's quoting Wilde like Oscar Wilde and like Mm. and I've asked in in, you know different different keys like hey do you think Moncrief is you know referencing this or that and and usually like I get a really satisfying response from (laughs) travel about like I think it's very likely that like he would be quoting Wilde because of this this and this reason I'm like oh cool like, I'm, I'm very very interested in um you know literary influence um anxiety of influence you know I have the the appendix appendices I should I say love in that my book in around book. all yes cool I'm so glad that you like yeah. I I that to me is so clever and and I also love that you have um the art that's referenced you you've got them in the back um so that you can you know, look at, at what the, you know, cause it's important. It's important to see like, oh, this is what they were looking at in the, in the book, but okay. Let's circle back to the book. Yeah. I would love to hear from you. Yeah. I mean, aside from the obvious being that you have an art background and a management consulting background, what brought you to these characters? Well, all four of the main characters are horrible versions of me. <laughs> um, I, I mean, like, like they're basically just all me. I mean, they're, have I infused like pieces of other people in them? And like, am I more some of them than others? Yes, 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 yes. But like, basically, they're all representing versions of my experience and how I experience the world, which is incredibly unflattering. And by the way, the, the, <laughs> I, I think that like, part of writing a good novel is being willing to like go there with your ego and just like the closer you can get to full ego death is you know in <laughs> like direct re- proportion to how good a novel is I agree um, with that you do I do oh well then we can we can we maybe we can't agree on like novel length and sentence length, but we can agree <laughs> we can agree on on the the fundamental importance of psychological truth at all costs. Absolutely. Um, I think I think you. having read Alex Higley, I think Alex, you texted me something you read you read that you wrote recently 
uh-huh. that was just an absolute like oh god that's right i do remember balls. that yeah yeah that's true <laughs> the, the portrait of amir is an absolute torch of my own balls um <laughs> there's there's the that's my kind of book there's the next edition like uh blur right there yeah, exactly. yeah i can self, i can write that up for you. <laughs> um yeah uh but then the character of julian papa's fiducia is like meant to be the a complete foil to you know so the the idea with the four main characters is that the line around nothing highlights difference like homogeneity I very specifically did not you know I feel like with a lot of um, novels about the upper crust of society you need like you 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 get I shouldn't say that you need because I don't have one but you you get like a an outsider persona who is acting as a foil. It's like, it's the, it's the poor girl at boarding school. And I like having been the poor girl at boarding school, I like very much did not want that particular dichotomy in it that just Mm -hmm. like, like where you're rooting for the poor girl at boarding school and like, fuck all these rich people. Um, I wanted to, you know, examine all of them as, um, as complex people and have a foil in there, but the foil Julian is, um, based on my deceased friend who, uh, the book is to Evan Thomas. Um, and I changed nothing about him. Like literally many of Julian's lines in the books are, uh, direct quotes. I started writing down like everything he said, um, at brunch starting in like 2011 <laughs> He is and so, so devastatingly funny. <laughs> he is, he, he literally, it, I mean, it was literally like going to brunch with, you know, with, with literal Oscar Wilde. I mean, he, he, I've never, I will, I will never, he was just such a singular um, human being. He reminded me a lot of, of Oscar though. Um, like a lot, a lot. And how, just how witty he was and just torching and, you know. Um, but yeah, so a lot of, a lot of those lines are, are pulled, are pulled from life. Uh, the whole conversation with cereal was a real argument that people got extremely (laughs) hot under the collar Uh, over. So hopefully it translated, um, to fiction really did steal, um, uh, the book, um, the book about prostitution from the Yale club. <laughs> that happened. Yeah, that happened. And he bragged about it at brunch and brought it to brunch. And yeah, the whole thing. Yeah, it all happened. Oh, so. what a delight. <laughs> it's great that he lives on in your book. I well, I hope so. I mean, his his mother, his mother um actually owns his parents own a bookstore. And um oh, wow. I've stayed in touch with his mother and she, you know, she loved the book and um has been been very, very sweet. But yeah, I know I was, you know, I wanted to give him a kind of immortality right and I mean I made I made stuff up too and um but you know I I really tried to cue as as closely to you know he's just he was so unbelievable in real life I know I knew he'd be a believable character I think the only characters that you can pull just like like point blank straight out of life are absolutely unbelievable in reality if they're mm-hmm. unbelievable in reality they're going to be really really believable as fictional characters mm-hmm I um, could not get enough of how much Diana loved Visine. (laughs) (laughs) It's so funny how many people have like loved that detail. That is pure fiction. I pulled that like literally out of left field. It is so great. It's, it's, it reminded me of like those detective fiction tropes where the detective has some sort of vice, vice Visine. Yes, yes, yes. And, you know, like, it's like her, I don't know, constantly trying to clear her vision or look like she has clear vision or look like she has it together, but just how much like her eyes get more and more blaringly white. Well, that's (laughs) also, it's, it's, you're absolutely right. It was all about her vision. And then Mm -hmm. also, um, like she is the Diana Whale and Diana White Whale. She's the Moby Dick Mm-hmm. character of mm-hmm. of the novel um in you know a lot of ways there's a lot of you know Moby Dick references and quotes and you know the epigraph comes from Moby Dick um and you know I I, I kind of see all the the characters as each other's white whales but her you know her most of all she yeah she's fascinating she's um she's like an ice pick <laughs> 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 extremely white eyes <laughs> Yeah. 
how do you feeling. go about drafting? It sounds like you are someone who where you know tying in literary influences, passions of yours from reading is super important, like in a in a like an essential way. I mean, even just as we're talking to you tonight, um, how do you go about is is that something that unfolds organically, Natasha, as you're writing? You know, these things are already on your mind, already things that mean so much to you as like a thinker and a writer that they're they're getting pulled in in that way, or is it is it is it imposed in the writing and then made to seem organic? How do you how do you yeah, go about this? I want to piggyback on that and ask you about the voice, which is so precise. Like I was telling Alex, it's like. It's like if Whit Stillman was a Greek god and oh, told us this story. Be still my heart. <laughs> it is. It is so. And it, you know, everyone. I know you stopped and went back and listened to the opening of the Liv Stratman episode, so you know what I'm talking about. Um, it, it is. It is so unique, and um, and I think you called it challenging. You called the book challenging, um, but I think like you 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 are forced to like take in every single word as the reader. Um, and so I just, I, to piggyback off what, what Alex was asking, I would love to hear you talk a little bit about the voice as well. Yeah. So um, I'll answer that first and then ask Alex to restate his question because I've already forgotten it. I can only I'm sorry, one Alex. in my mind at, at a time, Sorry, <laughs> but um, the, the, the voice took me like a year to get right. So I spent like basically all of 2015, just playing around with the voice um, and, and how far I wanted to take it with the narcissism theme. Like the idea of the voice was that it would be so, you know, maximalist and exacting because the the voice is in love with itself. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, it is like, it's my nonfiction narrative voice on steroids. Um, And, and, you know, I actually, one of the things that my agent and editor had me do was just dial it back ever so ever so slightly. So it was even, it was even more outrageous when I <laughs> queried the book. Um, what did you do to dial it back? Like, how did you get yourself? Just like, like, like vocab, like I, my, okay. I get absolutely reamed on Goodreads for how many big <laughs> words and how, how much dictionary <laughs> usage is required, both positive and negative. People are like, Oh, I love this. I had, I learned so many new words. People are like, Oh my God. It's like, she had the thesaurus open the whole time. <laughs> like as if no one just, I hate to break it to like, like I, I, I have a big vocabulary. Um, I grew up with an English professor and like my mom was his student. So Ooh, yeah, scandal, scandal. Okay. So, you know, everybody hung on his every word. Like we were, you know, romantic poetry was quoted at the dinner table. Wild west wind, thou breath of autumn's beating was like, you know, we were talking Osmandius was like a fixture in the home. So, you know, it's it came, it's all very natural to me, but I can see how it can seem forced if that wasn't your, um, your upbringing, but yeah, no, like, like I will say Jane Austen definitely had a very powerful impact. I've said this in other interviews, but I'm going to say it again. She like, she came into my life at such an impressionable time that she literally has become the voice of my conscience. You know how people have like those little, like little angels and devils on um, their shoulders, talking to them, the angel and devil on my shoulder are like Jane Austen and Jane Austen. (laughs) Um, and that's, that's, that's where, you know, that's, that's where the voice at least originates. I mean, my, my, uh, my desperate love of her irony and, um, exactitude, uh, has been a constant since I was a little girl. What was your question, Alex? I'm sorry. I forgot already. No, no. Uh, I was just going to say, I I think in a, in a way you answered it, Natasha, it seems like, your your upbringing the fact your father's influence the way that reading kind of came into your life it seems like this is just who you are so this is how you think and speak and talk i mean as far as bringing in other works and classic works of literature into your novel it seems like that's just 
kind of how you walk through the world. This isn't the kind of thing that is reverse engineered or anything like that. No. Oh God. I mean, definitely not. I mean, like I wrote my undergraduate thesis on um, Ulysses in the wasteland and how they're like the twin pillars of modernity and that, you know, they, they got there, you know, they ironically became the twin pillars of modernity by um, looking to the past and developing what I, the, the, the um, term that I thought I was so clever to coin at, you know, the age of 21 of the, the synthetic aesthetic, you know, the idea of you steal a little from everyone and you'll never be a plagiarist. I, I realized only in retrospect, like, you know, at the age of 30, when I was, fr- I was, I started freaking out when I turned, when I was about to turn 30 and I, I like, almost like, oh my God, I haven't written a novel yet. I haven't written a novel yet. What am I going to do? What people think that I am a corporate, like, yeah, what am I going to do? I'm an artist. I have to write a novel. What, I, I better get on this. But yeah, no, um, it, uh, I don't know. It's, <laughs> it's it, 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 it all, it all, um, the synthetic aesthetic just, um, is, was ingrained to me that I, what I realized was that I, that I was trying to figure out how to not be a critic, but be a, a writer of fiction myself. Mm. How did it feel to have your first novel come out? Oh, it's such a, it was like, it was deep and dark, (laughs) you know, it was, it was like really, it was, I've written about this a little bit in my, um, my newsletter. Um, but, uh, it, you know, it's like some things you've just, you've, you've put your expectations out there and are just so deeply desired for, you know, literally your entire life that when they happen, they can only ever not live up to your expectations of them. Mm -hmm. And that was, that definitely happened to me. And it wouldn't, it wouldn't have mattered like what happened. There was just, it was, it was too emotionally fraught. And I'm going to be honest, I didn't enjoy like the day of my wedding either, even though I'm like, you know, very happy to be married and, um, like all, all of that, like the actual wedding itself, I, I found to be highly, highly stressful. And, um, and, and I was really, really glad when it was, it was over. I, are you good at receiving gifts? No, not yeah, really. okay. No, yep. I, I like to choose my own. I'm really good at yep. like, if you want to like give me money for me to pick something out <laughs> expensive for myself, like yes, please. Yes. Okay. So I, I totally get where you're coming from. I am very similar in a lot of ways. Yes. Yeah. I have a hard time with all of that. Did you so so how how was it for you guys when your books came out? You go first, Higgs. Uh I mean, they were both on both both of my books are you know on micro presses very very small the readings that we did were great um the launches were fun one of them like very surprisingly got nominated for an award so we got to trap my wife and i got to travel for that which was cool but like you know i think the uh what you described natasha as far as like expectations being built up and then kind of inevitably being let down the one nice thing about publishing on very small presses is it's just built into the structure of what you're doing. You know, mm-hmm. there's, there was no advance, there was no distribution. I mean, so any success you have is shocking. I mean, truly shocking. And then if anyone you respect reads it and says anything, it's almost like, you feel like they got a part-time job to read your book or something. Like, how did you even, like, how did you even find this? Like, (laughs) thank you. Amazing. So yeah, I mean, it's good experiences. um, And I think you end up learning a lot about um, kind of what you were describing, just kind of being set up for like, yeah, your life just continues on (laughs) Mm -hmm. in a way. I think like, especially with like when eat only when you're hungry came out my last novel I um the way that I saw it was quite different than how I feel like other people saw it um because it for me it was about like addiction and and family and I think people I think 
I, I don't know. I, I was hoping that people would relate to it in that sense, but I don't think, I don't think, I guess, I mean, I don't know. I think my expectations and what I see happening are not true. <laughs> I'm starting to learn <laughs> that about myself. So sometimes when I'm saying, you know, things like this or how I felt, it can sound like I'm an idiot or I'm ungrateful or I, you know, but I think, I think part of the weirdness is you think this is what I'm putting out and then what people get from it can often be quite different. And that's disorienting and strange and can be sad and feel like, what did I do wrong? You know, or like, what am I doing wrong? Um, I, yeah, I definitely, definitely, I, well, I relate to what, what you both said, because Alex, I, I still, I read every single Goodreads review about like, oh, I'm insatiable. Man, really? I want, wow. I want to hear, no, don't do it. No, I love it. No, I, I, I love it. <laughs> Excuse me. I, I even, I enjoy the battle. Like I genuinely enjoy every single review I read, no matter what it says, because it wow. means that someone read my book. Mm-hmm. And that's just like the, the world's greatest compliment, you guys. I mean, it really is just, is just incredible, but and even when people misunderstood it, because individual readers misunderstanding things, I think is less frustrating than like, like pub- I've, I felt like publishing misunderstood my book. The, the fact mm-hmm. that it was put in like women's fiction sometimes, like, mm-hmm. I'm sorry, this, there is, if there was a man's name on my book, there, no one ever would have categorized it as anything other than the most hardcore literary fiction. Like, I mean, that's clear from the first page. I know, I know. It's like, like, it's just, yeah. I've always it's, said, like, if you have a three star, if you're a woman and you have, and one of your books got a three star, if you were a man, that would be four and a half to five stars. So, <laughs> yeah, but I mean, other Probably people true. got it, right? Like, I got a starred book list review with comps to mm. Jonathan Franzen and Donna Tart, and that felt really good. Yeah, you and can take that every day of the week. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah, because they're two of my, you know, my my faves. And then I, I actually several different outlets um, gave me comps to Edith Wharton, which oh my know, gosh, really, really, really happy. Um, so like people, people definitely. Um, there were definitely people who got it. And whenever that happened, it was just like absolutely thrilling. Um, but then, you know, just, you know, whenever, whenever it feels like it's um, being, being read or pushed or, um, you know, just, just misinterpreted when it's, you know, when you feel misunderstood, it's mm-hmm. that, that feels less good. Right. Totally. I think it's inevitable. Totally. Yeah. Because yeah, I mean, I, you almost, but it's it's it can be fun even sometimes like to, to be mis misunderstood by by readers. I think it even, can even be fun to be misunderstood by critics in scathing reviews. I think it's less fun when like you you miss out on readers because the industry has misunderstood. I, I will say I think like my book got a lot of um, like great mileage about it being quote unquote you know super super funny. Um, and I think it's funny too. And I, like, I wanted it to be funny. Sure. But, um, part of it is just, I think that people would be so people were so uncomfortable with the idea that you would even be allowed to write a novel about, um, annoying rich people that wasn't (laughs) satire. And like, I'm sort of being satirical, but I'm sort of not. And I think it's just too discomforting for, Mm for people in some cases, um, to, you know, I, I don't know. I, I, the more, the more, the farther out I am, the more I've just like re, re realize and accept that like, there's a lot of novels out there that like people want other people to know that they've read and they may not enjoy them very much, but there's like, they're almost like taking the books like medicine. They like, feel like they should read it. <laughs> yeah. That's really person. True. Yep. Yeah. My novel is, and like me as a writer, as a person, I am the my novel is the kind of novel you like want to read in secret and don't want anybody to know how much you like so it's a guilty pleasure (laughs) i guess i don't know or just like you know makes you it it you know you maybe it makes you feel like you look bad i don't know i feel like the donna tart (laughs) comparison is one that really bodes well for the book though in a way because like you think about you think about the characters that donna tart is famous for writing about it's like 
people, I feel like people typically don't even really talk about her characters. They talk about the pros and they talk about, I don't know. So I feel like in the same way, you know, your book could be afforded that same generosity. It's like, I don't know. I, for me, I mean, and maybe this is because we're writers, but like, I don't really care about like the, the class of the characters or how the characters are making money or like, I, I don't care. I don't know. It doesn't really enter into my, my own personal, like medicine taking as far as fiction. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I'm all about the aesthetics, like the, the, the style is, is for me, the, the substance here, like, right. like the star of the show is the writing itself. Yes. It, for me, and, and I, and I enjoy books, my favorite novels, like across the board are ones that are, um, you know, at the sentence level and, uh, and not, and like above the sentence level on the paragraph level and on the chapter level. And that, that are just highly, highly distinctive and, 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 and super stylish. Mm-hmm. So that's, um, I, I think a lot of that's kind of out of, out of style. Yeah. I think, so. I mean, I was style. also thinking like, <laughs> I don't know, like someone would, you don't hear like Salter's novels discussed in that way. Like you don't hear people say like, oh, these are like wealthy people in upstate New York, like with a struggling marriage. Like, no, if people are talking about light years, they're talking about like the pros, they're talking about sentences. They're not. So I don't know. I wonder if that's a gendered reaction to the book. Um or I don't know. I'm sure that's part of it, but yeah, I don't know. What's your new book about? My new novel is about probability and prophecy and basketball. Oh, oh my wow. God. Amazing. That sounds awesome. <laughs> I thought about, I thought about the opening of that. Just, I'm not ready. I think it's like, I think it's ready because we, uh, you, oh, Alex, you'd asked a little bit about like my drafting style and like yeah. quite linear. Mm-hmm. And um, so, you know, uh, when I, when I, when I have a chapter done, like it's not that far off from a finished novel. I think from, from my oh, first wow. draft of the portrait of Amir to the published version, only about 5,000 words changed. Jesus. Mm. So I'm a, I'm a total diamond polisher. So like I could read the beginning of it, but I'm just, I'm not ready. I'm like, I'm not ready to let out the concept, oh, yeah, like no. the, like the, like the hook yet, because um, I'm such a slow writer. And I think I think it's a really it's a really good plot. Are you a gambler? Um, no, I'm not a gambler. Okay, I don't know. I just I heard the premise and I was like, ooh, is this everything to do with gambling? Maybe I need to add gambling into it because I'm only <laughs> one chapter in. I'm like, I'm still in, you know, informing, storming and norming and forming stage or whatever it is. <laughs> well, when you're when know. you're a degenerate and you hear the word probability and then any of the major four American sports mentioned the degenerate mind goes to gambling. So that's just, that's just me. <laughs> I know. I like it. I, I think, I think that there's definitely a gambling lens to be had okay. there and I'm going to pursue, pursue that, that. Whoa, that Alex Higley with the <laughs> hot, plot. hot plot. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you, Alex. <laughs> You're welcome. I will credit you in the uh, acknowledgements in, yes. in like six, in like six years when <laughs> fantastic. Published. And you'll come back on because we'll still be doing this. Oh, <laughs> yes. Yes. I mean, you, I mean, please don't stop. It's a it's a public service. <laughs> we know <laughs> we're not getting paid. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> you know, that, I think that that's it's it, it means that you're uncorrupted. Oh, yeah. I'd like to be a little corrupted. I could be corrupted. Right price. <laughs> yeah. I'll sell I out. mean, any price. I'll Yeah. I mean. It takes so little. Yeah. I don't know. Natasha, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you so much for having me. It's really just such a delight. Yeah. This was a blast. Thank you. This was great. Natasha's book is the portrait of a mirror and it's so good. Great cover. Read it and tell us what you think. I went to a water park with my children today, as I told you earlier, mm-hmm. and I am completely sunblasted. Okay. I think part of my brain has been smoothed mm-hmm. from that experience. It has. <laughs> it was really like it, my boys had a great time. Um, my daughter was a shithead, um, <laughs> but I think it's still going to be a summer memory. Nice. And Ben and I recently have uh, like become friends with people that we like. It's hard when you're a parent 
Like you meet these people at the playground or like oh, at school God. and you're like, you're like, oh, we could be friends. But then like your life is busy and like your lives don't intersect, you yeah, know? Yeah. Oh yeah. But like recently we've hung Got out good more than once with two different families and ben, Ben's like, this is not like us, but we have to keep it going. <laughs> we have to, we have to figure out things to do. It's our turn to suggest. Oh my God. <laughs> it's like, we don't know what to do with ourselves. Um, but that's nice. It's nice. That's awesome. Nice to have friends, I guess. Yeah. Uh, I read a book called all I'm going to see, I'm going to say it wrong. I'm going to say it like the blink 182 song, but that's all the small things, all the small things, small things like these by okay. Claire Keegan. And it's basically a short story because mm-hmm. it's like a hundred pages long and she mm-hmm. writes short stories and it's incredible. Um, wow. Who published it? she's irish let's see here claire keegan claire keegan grove okay my fam cool grove press um and then after that i started reading lynn stager strong's new book flight because she sent it to me i'm excited to read that so far it's great it's like family sibling um drama although that sounds like that sounds like no, it sounds good. Smaller than what I mean. Yeah. Um. But yeah, the, that kind of dynamic. I loved Want. Yeah, so, I remember you said that. So pumped of, to read. A lot this. of friends of mine really enjoyed that book. Yeah. Do you remember the movie? This is a tangent from you saying that Claire Keegan's Irish. Do you remember the movie In America? In America, I think I rem- I don't think I ever saw it. Okay, it's like two kids, and then it's a Jim Sheridan movie. Samantha Morton's the mom. God, I love her. Oh my God, I love her. She's amazing. (laughs) Anyway, the dad in that movie to the girls, he always goes, come here to me. Come here to me. He says (laughs) that like throughout the whole movie. And my friend and I saw it in high school. And it's something that has just like remained in our relationship. Like if we're in the same room, like (laughs) come here to me. And so I don't know. That's what I thought of. I love that because my best friend and I have a bunch of those. And one of them is there was a movie with Kim Basinger. Um, the hell was it called? Out of Africa, maybe? Is that what that movie's called, honey? That's a Meryl Streep movie, right? Okay, no. He's, already, he's already could, laughing. He's I could already be laughing. goofed up. I don't know. That's what Alex was. Okay, I dreamed of Africa. Okay, and there's a okay. part where they're showing like a montage of of her being in Africa with her family and <laughs> the montage ends with her throwing her arms in the air and going Africa <laughs> and it's so stupid and ridiculous and my best friend Kathleen and I to this day will be like Africa oh my god, <laughs> oh, god. Oh, I love it oh. oh it's got a 10% on Rotten Tomatoes okay? I just That's looked it up I've never even heard of that movie I don't know why we would have ever watched it just zip it over there. 22 years, Ben. Come on. I have to hear about the yeah, yeah from you all the time. And that was longer ago. <laughs> I, have a, um, I have a quick, funny Goodreads story. Oh, please. Okay. So I do not look at Goodreads because my books don't get reviewed on Goodreads because people haven't read my books, which is fine. Okay. Anyone listening, can you please go on and review no, no. Alex's no, no, no. books on Goodreads? Please don't. That, I'm, no, please that's do. not why I'm bringing this up. It's just I know. funny. I know. This, is, I know. this is funny. So I had a very viral tweet like... That tweet was so funny. Two months ago or something, uh-huh. three months ago. Mm-hmm. It had like 400,000 likes. It was crazy. I I just like always delete my tweets because I think they're fucking all, all tweets fucking are annoying and mm-hmm. it, I think it's crazy not. It's embarrassing. Them. It's embarrassing that we're all on there. But yes, go ahead. Yeah, it is, and I'm totally on there. But so I just delete them, whatever. So I open. I was feeling I don't know, like I wanted to punish myself. So I opened up <laughs> my Goodreads, and there is a new review for Old Open, and I just have to read some of this to you because oh, it's very funny. I wanted to dislike this book because I bought it on a whim due to Alex Higley's viral tweet. Oh my God. Whose, <laughs> whose subject I don't even recall, but I can't. It was a treat. <gasps> I, I devoured it in a single sleep deprived 
fugue state. And I feel like the viral tweet to book in hand pipeline is exactly the type of random events you would appreciate. True. But then I I looked for the tweet. I'm thorough. Okay. And I couldn't find it. So either I imagined it or he got really canceled in the last month or two. (laughs) (laughs) And then it goes on and on. But I just thought I was just like, all right, I really like that one. Who is that delightful person? I don't know. Just some person. I have no idea. Wow. But that, love that. yeah, because, yeah. you know, you see people who go viral be like, okay, you're paying attention now. Can you please, mm-hmm. you know, give money here or buy my whatever, right. which is exactly what I did. I like yeah. use the playbook. Yes. Yeah. And that, and it worked. I guess it worked one time. Worked. Yeah. I mean, one is better than none. Cat, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. cat. Good job. That made me laugh um yeah i think uh, we did it we did it yeah all right goodbye i'm a writer but is recorded by alex hickley and me Lindsay hunter in our respective basements editing by Lindsay hunter music by max loop yay